Welcome to the Court of Opinion. I'm Eric Gonzalez. And I'm Mike Stir. All right, Stir, we've got some uh, big news in the NBA as of late. We've got some obvious discussions about the Wizards and how they're slumping. We've got a passing of the guard with one of the recent games between the Mavericks and the Warriors. We've got some updates on the media's favorite people to talk about and some stable franchises experience instability. But first, I want to start off with the bombshell, the the Woj bomb from yesterday, Derek Rose is back with the New York Knicks and also back with Tom Thibodeau as he leaves Detroit for Rosier destinations. What's your take on the Rose trade? To be honest with you, um, I can kind of understand it from the sense that if you're the, uh, if you're the Pistons, you get rid of Derek Rose's contract, you get back a second round pick. Um, you get Dennis Smith Jr., who probably at this point, he's not going to be salvaged. It seems like at this point, um, Dennis Smith Jr.'s IQ is going to hold him back from ever reaching the potential we thought he originally was going to have with the Mavericks. But I think that this was really all about the Pistons accepting their fate and understanding they're not going to be a playoff team. They know that they're not going to contend this season, and they're just trying to get rid of big contracts to essentially wipe the slate and acquire some draft capital to start that rebuild process. So I think that in reality, what this means is it's only a matter of time before the other pieces on the Pistons start getting fire sold. Now that you've got Derrick Rose gone for the Knicks, I really don't understand why you'd want to do it if you're the Knicks, because I mean, I understand that you're, you're in the eighth seed right now and you're as it is currently in the playoffs. But even with Derrick Rose, you're not realistically going to be a contending team in the playoffs. At best, even if you were to make it with Derrick Rose, you're still going to get eliminated in the first round. So I think for the for the Knicks, it would have been smarter for them to have used this season to develop their younger players and acquire draft capital instead of trying to contend right now with pieces that you know can contend, even if you add Derrick Rose. But um, it's nice to see Rose back with Tibbs again even though you'd like to see him in a more winning situation after this trade. Yeah, I, I agree with most of your points. And I think in, in terms of the Knicks, um, it leaves a big question mark for me because you have Emmanuel quickly. who has been doing well as of late. You have Alfred Payton who hasn't been doing terribly, but also hasn't done enough to be cut out of the rotation. And then you have Austin Rivers who has shown glimmers of hope throughout the season with some big games. So now you have a log jam at that position. Like you said, you're not really developing that young talent. Yes, you're bringing Rose in to probably buoy or help bring up that 26th or 25th rated offense in the NBA. Um, but I think looking at this trade and what it says to both of the organizations, I think Detroit is trying to have a reclamation project with Dennis Smith Jr. Whether or not that is successful will be seen, but they tried doing it with Josh Jackson recently. They're obviously trying to do it with Blake Griffin, but I think they just view that as a reclamation project. I also think that they probably worked with Rose because he's been so good to them throughout this process to say, hey, where do you wanna go? And he said, I've gotten my best in Minnesota and Chicago with working with Tibbs. So let me go to New York. And also New York is still, regardless of how much they lose, one of the best markets to be uh, marketable in. So Rose gets to go. He still has a signature shoe with Adidas and market himself in one of the biggest markets in the U.S., if not the biggest for the NBA. Um, so I, I think they worked with Rose to get him over to there. Um, but I agree with you on all the points with Detroit. I think this is a domino that will continue to cascade down, continue to push out pieces 
And I think we'll also see some pushing out on the New York side as well. Yeah, honestly, the the deal for Derrick Rose, like you said, it does make sense from a marketability standpoint. And I can see how being in a big market like New York will help him as an individual be a more marketable player and capitalize probably in the last couple of years he has left of playing at a high level. But you know that it's not going to be to win. And at least for me, I always thought of Derrick Rose as the sort of guy who really, really wanted to win, a very competitive guy. Um, I think that if he had his way, he probably would have chosen to go somewhere else, even though he is going back with the coach that he knows. Yeah, well, I, unless he comes out and says it, I, I don't know if we'll exactly know. But off to another team that seems like they can't get help any which way. Um, the Wizards continue to lose and lose and lose. And the entire team, every time the cameraman pans to anybody on the bench, but particularly their stars, they look deflated. Um, I've heard rumblings that there's some interest bringing Russ to L.A., so it'd be a nice L.A. hometown trio over there. Do you think that the Clips pull the trigger on that Russ deal or and or does Bradley Beal end up staying put beyond the trade deadline at this point? Uh, the Russell Westbrook deal would be interesting. I've heard that, too, but it's just to make that deal work would be complex with the size of Russell Westbrook's contract. The Clippers would have to put together a pretty unique package to be able to acquire Russell Westbrook and then also at the same time maintain enough of the pieces they currently have right now, which have them in and right now in a position where they have a top four record in the NBA. So I just, I don't know if trading for Westbrook is something that's possible. I'm sure they'd like to add him. He is from California after all. Um, Westbrook as a teammate, everyone knows that his work ethic and will to win is something that's going to carry over to any team that he gets placed on. But I just think for the Clippers, it may be a little bit too difficult to acquire him. And I'm not sure that the Clippers really have the assets necessary to pull it off at this point. You know that they've been pretty depleted after the deals that they've had to make to be able to bring Paul George over and get some of the assets that they have. Um, I think that the, the Wizards would probably prefer a different trade candidate that would be able to offer them more of what they're looking for. Um, if somehow Westbrook does get moved, I think that means it's a 100% chance that Beal gets moved because at that point, you know, you're definitely not going anywhere. But um, I think the Wizards just need to stop being stubborn. At this point, they're 11 and 13 or um, 5 and 15. Um, at 5 and 15, even with the East having its seventh and eighth seed maintaining losing records, 5 and 15 with a shortened season is just too big of a hole. So I think it's only a matter of time before we see this is probably the next team to start shipping players off after the Pistons. Yeah, and you hope that they do. I think we've talked about the Wizards extensively with whether or not they'd ship out John Wall. Obviously they did, but they got a similar bloated contract with Westbrook. It's not working out with that. I think PG and Westbrook's relationship in Oklahoma City is probably what is starting this rumor mill. But you have to think, the Clippers gave up a lot to get PG over to there from Oklahoma City. So they don't really have the draft capital to play around with in terms of bringing Westbrook over. So you would have to think that the Wizards are just saying, hey, this first round pick that we sent with John Wall to Houston, that's a sunk cost at this point. We just need to get uh, Westbrook's bloated contract off the books. So we're going to send them to you for some expiring deals, maybe a Zubach or a young talent like that, um, that we can maybe keep around for the team and then look to be getting more draft capital from the Bradley Beal trade if they decide to do it. If not, 
Beal's definitely going to walk. I don't, I don't see him staying there uh, beyond this year because he just looks so, so sad. He's not going to say anything, but he just, his body language, he's, he's hurting right now. He actually got asked about it. Um, they had mentioned in an interview uh, what his body language had been like recently because there's been all over the internet and all these memes about Bradley Beal just sitting on the bench, basically looking like, what do I have to do? Like, what is, what do I have to do to get a win? And he basically agreed that um, he basically understands that anytime he's upset and he's frustrated and he shows that type of body language, he knows the media's gonna take it, run with it and try to blast it everywhere about how there's turmoil in the Wizards. And he thinks that he does need to be better about that. And he accepts blame in that regard. But he also does say that it's just tough. He's a guy who's competitive and he wants to win. And it's hard sometimes to hide the expression on his face. Yeah, I don't think anybody really can uh, blame him for that. And I don't think it's really his fault as to why they're losing. I think he's, uh, if he's not still leading the NBA in scoring, he's in the top three. So um, he's doing everything that he possibly can. Uh, speaking of people doing the absolute most, Recently, we saw a game between the Mavericks and the Warriors, and there seemed to be a passing of the guard as Steph Curry went off for 59, and Luka went off for his career-high 42, taking the slight edge over the Warriors and Stephen Curry. Um, I've seen a lot of tweets recently with Luka being included as the most hated person now in the NBA, and everybody's off LeBron at this point. So I think as you go one way or the other in terms of amassing followers or ma amassing haters. It means that you're doing something right and you are extremely special. Um, and so I think Luca uh, just showing out is um, an indicative of him acquiring more haters in that regard uh, and leading his team to a victory there. Yeah. So I'm going to ask you about it too. So you can, um, come back and give me your explanation for it. I understand that a lot of the hate for Luca is going up, but I really don't know why. To me, he seems like such a likable player. I think it depends on who you are because it seems like there's a lot of players and a lot of fans that love Luca. And then you have this other demographic, this other half that is really passionately against him for some reason, um, which I really don't understand why. But um, I think that last night is a pretty good representation of a picture of where the league is now and where it's going. You have a guy like Stephen Curry, who basically with the performance like last night, his own coach came out and said he has never played a better game than last night. Um, Stephen Curry's completely back to the peak form that he had when he won his MVP, scoring 57, making 11 threes out of 19, one short of an NBA record, 19 of 31 shooting, but he still lost in the end. And it's because even though he probably as an individual outplayed Luka Doncic, if you watch this game, one of the things that you know that Luka has that is very special and elite is his feel for the game. He always seems to have a really good idea of what his team needs at a certain moment. So he really does decide when to score and get his own basket and when to be aggressive and when to set others up. He's elite at deciding when is the appropriate time to do that. And he always seems to have a flair for the dramatic. There's a lot of players that in the biggest moments shrink. Luke is the kind of guy who wants to be in the big moment, making the plays during the crunch time. He loves the spotlight and he likes to put on a performance. So I think that you have one of the greatest of the old generation showing you that the new generation is in good hands with people like Luka Doncic. And not only Luka Doncic, but uh, 
Nikola Jokic, another player who on that Saturday night had a 50-point game, 50-point triple-double for Jokic, um, another young guy coming through in the league. Based on these performances, who do you think had the best individual performance of Saturday night, Stephen Curry, Doncic, or Jokic? I think individual performance, it's got to be Curry. Um, I think he just is showing why he's the best three-point shooter in the game. Um, second for me is Jokic because of that triple-double and putting up a 50 spot with a triple-double. And to me, Jokic is the clear front runner for MVP right now. Um, and then getting to Luka. So I think he had a great complete game. And I think the hate that's coming from him for him, uh, I'm not part of this bandwagon of hate, but I think people are seeing him flop or complain and they're using that as the proxy for their hate um, similar to some of what you see with LeBron in the past flopping maybe a Paul Pierce so depending on where your allegiance lies from a fan base if you see somebody like that on a team um, you're probably not going to like them as much so I think that's where some of the Luka hate is coming from but I think any great player conversely has uh, fans as much as they have haters so with Stephen Curry with Jokic with Luca, I'd definitely take Steph out of those three, but Jokic from a complete season is the person that's dominating for me. And I think from a league perspective, it shows the globalization that's happening because every year I feel like we're adding more and more like foreign or European talent into this MVP conversation. So obviously Giannis has won it the last two years. Jokic is being talked about. Embiid, uh, who's from Africa, he's being talked about as an MVP. So every year we're just adding more and more and more people to the conversation of like these foreigners and it's not just domestic players from the u.s that are being the face of the league which is great great to see yeah no i agree um for me personally i'd probably have to give the top performance of that night honestly that saturday night was crazy some really big performances but i have to give it to Jokic. i know that curry did have his career high 57 um he did outscore Jokic. But Jokic had 50 points, 12 assists, and 10 rebounds. That had never been done since Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. And he did it on 20 of 33 shooting, didn't miss a single free throw, had three blocks, and also was three of six from three. So not to nitpick anything Stephen Curry did, he had a, an amazing game, but it's just that Jokic was essentially everywhere. He did everything at an elite, perfect level. Um, the irony is both Jokic and Curry both lost, which is, I think, maybe only the second or third time in NBA history where two players score 50 points in a night and they both lost. But um, it's good for the league, definitely good for the league to see the stars that we have from the past playing at a high level now. And we also have the stars that are going to bring us into the future also playing at a high level. Yeah, I, I, I definitely agree. So moving on, we have some updates on other people that are the media's favorites right now. Uh, big news coming out of the Hornets camp that Lamella Ball is now starting. Uh, additionally, we see that Zion Williamson is Zion Williamson and is breaking rims like Shaq. Uh, and then one of the media's favorites for a very long time, LeBron James, gets into a heated discussion with a courtside fan. So what uh let me let me first get your take on Lamella being a starter and we can get into the other two well 
if we're looking at LaMelo, honestly, he's, he's really just benefiting from the fact right now that Terry Rozier had to go down and that allowed him to step into the starting lineup. And essentially, if he continues to play at the level that he's been playing, it looks like he might be able to hold that starting spot down. Um, I know that I myself have been very critical of LaMelo Ball. I don't think that uh, he is necessarily an all-NBA type player or maybe even an, um, a pillar for a championship team or anything like that. But I do think that he has really, really outplayed what I thought he was going to do to this point, especially offensively. Um, his jump shot looks really, really strange, the mechanics on it. But despite that, he is shooting 79% from the free throw line, albeit only on 2.6 attempts. Still, the percentages are astronomically better than what his brother shoots. And he is shooting 33.9% from three on 4.7 attempts, which is already a lot better than I thought he'd ever be from deep. So the fact that he's at least average from that distance is allowing him to use the best aspects of his game, which are his ability to see the court, drive and kick, find others and get others involved and get into the paint. So I think that's great for him. And honestly, I'm excited to see what more he can do. I think that he's closer to his ceiling than a lot of the other players in his class. Um, just because I don't know that he'll ever be the kind of offensive weapon that can consistently just get his own shot whenever he wants it. But he, he's honestly outplayed a lot of the other rookies in this class to this point. So he's probably the front runner for rookie of the year, if I'm being completely honest. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I think he's definitely the front runner for rookie of the year. And I mean, looking at his stat lines, if he can reproduce what he did against the Jazz, 34 points, four rebounds, eight assists, two steals, one block, if he can do that on a consistent basis, that's that's an MVP level uh, caliber player. Um, and the game against the 76ers, the game against the Wizards, that bookend, that game against the Jazz, scored 22 points and 19 points respectively, seven rebounds apiece, and uh, five assists and three assists in each of those games. So he's only 19 years old. He clearly has the height, the skills, the athleticism to be a great player in the league for me it'll come down to what work is he putting in in the offseason to take care of the some of those things that you're talking about creating his own shot becoming a better um like playmaker overall um and not just relying on the passing how is his shooting mechanic going to change is that going to uh improve both his free throw shooting percentage as well as his three point and uh just overall from the field percentage so i think his off seasons will be the big question mark for him and, and how he grows into that yeah agree on the other side of the spectrum we have zion williamson who is probably the <laughs> the guy with the highest ceiling in the entire NBA, if we're being completely honest, doing things that we haven't seen since Shaq times. We thought that when Shaq, seven foot one, 300 plus pounds, basically had the breakaway rim redesigned because he, he taught the NBA that players like him could exist and they needed to change their hardware to support players like him. You thought after Shaq, we'd never see um, issues with, players dunking with such force that you literally have to stop a game and recalibrate the rim. But that's what can happen when you have a guy like Zion Williamson, who is six foot seven, but also 284 pounds somehow and able to jump as high as he does. So it's honestly just great for the league to see um, 
an athletic specimen like Zion Williamson doing things like that might be inconvenient during the game, but you know, it's always good for clicks and highlights when fancy that you have guys like Zion Williamson um, bringing back the Shaq attack. Yeah, it was, it was funny to watch. I mean, I don't have anything else to add other than that. I mean, he didn't even make the dunk, but he just <laughs> buzzed the delay of game. So um Another delay of game. Of course of nature, man. It's it's honestly impressive how he hasn't been able to get hurt. That's always been the biggest thing with him. Can he stay healthy? But um, he's he's been healthy this year, and he's been dominant. So the sky's the limit for him. Yeah. Another delay of game that happened. Uh, LeBron James got into it with a courtside fan. His uh, wife or fiance, I forget what exactly she was, got back into it with LeBron James, and he – told her to sit down, I think, with a couple expletives attached to it. So what's your take on this? I'll, I'll start. I think that fans right now during this COVID time with fewer fans in the stand, their voices can be completely amplified. I think if somebody was sitting courtside like that and said something to the players, um, you wouldn't be able to necessarily hear it as much with the chance of defense or the chance of like, let's go Hawks or whoever is on the court. So I feel like fans should be more cognizant of that. And maybe they are in the opposite way. They're just like, oh, I can definitely say something and get LeBron's attention. Um, but in, in events like that, you're going to get kicked out. Like if, if security can audibly hear you say derogatory remarks to any player on the floor, you're going to get kicked out. That happened when there were a lot of fans in the stands and your voice being amplified. If the players are going to be able to hear it and take offense to it and it's a distraction to the game they're going to kick you out and they completely deserve to be kicked out. And then she went on Twitter afterwards and completely uh, just rambled even more. Um, There's just no place for that in the game. Yeah. I I understand what you're saying about the voices being amplified with less fans being in the stadium. From my perspective, fans, the whole point of home court advantage is to get in the players heads and distract them. Mind you, there are some things that you can't say. There's a couple of exceptions of things that are obviously going too far, which I'm sure we all know what some of those things could be. But um, based on what I heard, I don't think that she said anything to him that really warranted being kicked out. Players heckle or uh, fans heckle players and say stuff like that literally all the time. Um, and the only reason why she got kicked out in reality was because apparently she lowered her mask. It wasn't even what she said. So um, she, she apparently lowered her mask to say what she was going to say. And that was the reason she got kicked out. But um, I think that fans heckling players is nothing new. And if anything, players need to be cognizant of the fact that players have always been heckled their entire sports careers. And it's part of what home court advantage is. And you as a player have to understand that your focus is on the game and not on the players. I think for a player that is very seasoned and is a veteran player like LeBron, it was extremely unprofessional of him to get into a shouting match with a fan where he was literally cussing at a fan. That's kind of like, I don't know, Kevin Durant responding to some random high school kid who criticized him on Twitter. Like you're, you're supposed to be above that. Um, You'd understand the nature of your job and you understand that fans are there to potentially try to get in your head. And she really didn't take it too far. I think LeBron probably um, should have reined it in. And I really just don't appreciate LeBron getting into a shouting match, cussing at fans. It's just not a good look for the league at the end of the day. LeBron makes his contract based off of that ticket sale that fans like her are paying. So um, I'm, I have to side with the fans on this one. All right. Well, we uh, agree to disagree on that one. But moving on, some stable franchises are experiencing instability. The Heat and Mavs 
have many parallels right now. Spo, Spo and Carlisle both have a long tenure, both have a stable front office, obviously longstanding culture between the two, great ownership, finals rivals a few times in 06 and 2011. Uh, both of them, I think, had high hopes with the roster and just their previous season's uh, like runs in the playoffs. And both right now are out of the playoff picture, severely underachieving from what everybody really thought uh, to, to start the season. So obviously both had guys miss time with KP, missing some time with the Mavs, the Heat, missing like half their players due to COVID. Um, but after having some of those pieces returned, they're still kind of struggling. So what what's the reason for this? Honestly, it's really bizarre. And it's, it's really hard to say because if you look at last season, these two teams both essentially brought back all the same core pieces and every important piece, save for Jay Crowder from, for the Miami heat from last season, they basically brought everyone back and you could, you could explain, you know, some kind of drop off or decline because of the shortened off season and having to expend a lot of energy in the playoffs, but to have this big of a drop off is honestly shocking. And it may actually be for the Miami heat, especially maybe the single biggest turnaround in um, individual record in terms of the biggest drop-off from one season to the next for a team that went to the finals the previous year. Um, the only other team that I can think that probably had a drop-off that big may have been an abandoned LeBron team. Could have probably been a team that, that struggled this bad. Yeah. But it's, it's hard to say why it is because they both have great coaches. So you, you can't really say it's the coach, the coach needs to be fired, the coach is on the hot seat. These are organizations that those coaches are not going anywhere. They're basically family with the ownership and with the GM and front office. So you know that the coaches are not gonna go anywhere. Um, the teams contended last year with the pieces they had. So you can't really say that it's the roster that's terrible. I think what it is probably is that last year, the Mavericks and the Heat, what they did have in common was they were a team that at the beginning of that season, no one really expected much of either team. People looked at Butler as going to the Heat to basically be an early first round exit. You just wanted to cash out and go retire somewhere nice. People looked at the Mavericks as a team that was eventually gonna be able to be good, but they were just too young with Doncic and Porzingis. They just didn't have enough experience and enough cohesive or uh, enough time to build cohesiveness yet. So they ended up overachieving and um, they exceeded a lot of those expectations. And I think as a result, they caught a lot of teams off guard and a lot of teams probably didn't know how to game plan for them as well as they do right now. Um, after a ton of exposure in the playoffs for both of these teams, there's a ton of film on their guys and players that otherwise maybe teams would have overlooked and didn't have really um, a firm scouting report on. I think teams now know better how to game plan for those teams. So I think for the Mavericks and for the Heat, it's a matter of number one, they have to understand that although they were competitive last year, they can't just skate by and try to turn it on in the fourth quarter to win games. They both have a lot of turnovers and a lot of mental mistakes that are plaguing their teams. So it's not like they can't salvage it by playing cleaner basketball, but um, they have to understand that teams are going to be more dialed in for them this time around. So they're going to have to be more on their P's and Q's and start working on their counters and start to throw in some new wrinkles into their game plan to be able to get teams off guard again, the way that they did last year. Yeah. I think the heat um, and the Mavericks both 
to, to your point, definitely had high expectations. They're not meeting them. But I think with the pieces that were out, rotations have been an issue for these teams. Yes, you expect them to be professionals. However, it's you're, you're probably asking too much of a bunch of rookies who are playing more minutes than they've ever played. And like you wouldn't see the Max Struces or the Gabe Vincents even getting any playing time on a fully loaded Miami Heat team. Um, and so I think with those kind of misfits for the rotations, both coaches have had to figure things out. You've seen though that um, people are starting to obviously pay more attention to those teams, but all in all, these teams are starting to figure it out more. I think the preseason not happening was a big detriment to a lot of teams, especially um, some of these teams that lost some pieces that were going deep into the playoffs. So Miami Heat, Dallas Mavericks, they're both going to figure it out. Um, I think it's you've seen the Heat win the last couple of games pretty convincingly. I would say their last five games, they had great leads in those games and then watched it go away in the third and fourth quarters, either slowly or pretty rapidly in the uh, case of the Wizards game. So if you have those late uh, fallouts, if you will, in the fourth quarter, those are things that they're going to watch on film and clean up from a turnover fouling and that, and that's sort of, sort of a perspective. So I think they overall clean it up. I think both of them still make the playoffs. I'll be it. I think they both make it. I think it'll be at a lower seed than they both anticipated, but I do think that they both figure it out and they both make it. The maps yeah, have a lot of easy games coming up. Yeah. The, the glimmer of hope if you're a heat fan is the seventh, and eighth and even the sixth seed in the east right now all have losing records so if you're the heat you can feel good about the fact that if you're going to catch up and get back into the playoffs basically you're tied in the loss column with the new york knicks for the eighth spot so it's not really like you have to climb this massive mountain to get back into it just because other teams have luckily been struggling a lot this year too as, we, as we've said um, in other podcasts, the quality of play overall for many teams has been a little down. The Mavericks, on the other hand, they sit second to last in the West. And to catch the Warriors, the Warriors are 12 and 11 at the eighth spot. I did predict earlier that the Warriors would miss the playoffs. I'm just going to go ahead and stick with my prediction. I'll give them the benefit of the doubt. I think the Mavericks can close on the Warriors and regain that eighth seed. Yeah, definitely an easier route for the Heat, but I still see both of them making it. I don't know if the Warriors won't make it, but I see the Mavericks claiming a spot there. All right, and now it is time for everyone's favorite segment, Plead Their Case. I will ask you a certain scenario, and you will tell me uh, what, why you're pleading their case. Ready to go? All right, let's do it. All right, Katie is out again with COVID guidelines. However, plead the Nets case for while, why they will be able to contend with the East with their lack of depth and KD being out. So the way I look at it, obviously you lose your best player again, which I don't understand this at all. They asked Kevin Durant to leave the game in the third quarter, mid-game after he's already made contact, physical contact, sweated with everybody, interact with everybody. At this point, what's asking him in the third quarter to leave the game going to do? And also, I'm just curious about the NBA protocol in general. Like, hasn't he already had corona? Like, isn't he supposed to be good now? But regardless, um, 
the Nets have a fortunate situation, although they have to miss their best player for another extended period of time again. It does have a few silver linings in it. I was one of the people that thought that Kyrie Irving should probably just be traded for depth and better pieces because, like you mentioned, their depth is so thin. But having Kevin Durant out is going to force this team to honestly figure out a lot, and it's going to end up making their depth better when he does return because Kevin Durant being in the game is basically like a safety valve for them where you know that he's essentially the most talented offensive player in the NBA. If you don't have an offensive set that worked or you just had a sloppy offensive possession, you know that you could just dump it down to KD and he'll just make something happen and get it on his own. And having that safety valve taken from you is going to force Kyrie Irving and James Harden to finally have to build some type of chemistry rather than them just doing the whole, all right, my turn, your turn, my turn, your turn. And when I don't have the ball, I'm essentially just going to stand here and wait to get it. It's going to probably force them to have to move off the ball and have to develop some kind of chemistry with getting other players involved too, because you're replacing now 30 points a game on 50% shooting, actually above 50% shooting. So I think that this um, upcoming time will actually end up being good for the Nets in the long run because it'll force the Nets lineups without Kevin Durant in them to be better because they'll have more minutes to have tried and tested out what will work with Kevin Durant off the, off the floor. So um, as a Nets fan, you know that you still have a great record overall in the East. Most of the teams in the East aren't doing that well. So even if this stretch, um, you end up taking some L's, you know you're still firmly in position for the playoffs. And you also get some much needed experience playing without your best player. Yeah, I think they need to figure out this whole uh, coronavirus thing when it comes to players who have already had it before. I understand there's obvious concerns that you could catch it twice, but so far research hasn't said that that's possible, um, at least not frequently. So if he tests negative for two days and is able to go back, uh, I think that that would be a, a better thing for the league overall. Also, if he came into close contact with this person and then, like you said, gets pulled in the third quarter, why the hell isn't everybody else who played with him that game being pulled out for the entire week as well? So obviously there are some gaps in terms of their processes there. I know the league is trying to keep everything afloat and make sure everything is safe as possible, but just definitely some gaps between there. Moving on, Kawhi, LeBron, and others talking about health. Don't think the NBA or the MBPA are taking them into account with the recent addition of the All-Star Game. Originally, players were supposed to have 10 days off. Now they're bringing the All-Star Game to Atlanta. And a lot of star players, uh, rightfully so, are saying that this isn't taking their health into account because they're bringing all of these people, the media, and these players into one place at one time and then sending them back out to their respective markets. Plead their case on why the NBA did take the players into account. Um, honestly, this is a, a hard one to plead the case for, given all the players that have come out and basically said, no, the league doesn't care. But I think that at the end of the day, you understand that as an NBA player, one of the biggest events for not only generating revenue, but also for showcasing the league stars and essentially building real estate in the mind of fans that maybe aren't your everyday viewers is the all-star game. You're going to have a ton of people tune in to watch. It's just a big revenue generator for the league. So you had to expect as a player, there was going to be some kind of all-star game. And 
I know you feel as a player like this is a health and safety issue, but in reality, you're not mandated. You're not mandated to go. If you really think that this is um, a serious health and safety concern, you do have the option as a player to choose not to go. So it's not like they're forcing them. So as a player, if you have a serious issue with it, again, you don't have to go and play. It does suck for the players because this offseason was already shortened and it is tough to already be um, losing these extra days of rest that you thought you were going to have. And now they're asking you to go play at the All-Star game. But in reality, uh, the All-Star game only affects a minority of the players. There's only a small percentage of the players that are actually going. Um, and in reality, these guys are always playing each other night in and night out anyway. So I think from a health standpoint, um, it's really not that much riskier than playing any of the other games these guys have been playing. There's been games in arenas with fans in certain stadiums, and those teams have then gone on to play other teams in stadiums that have been locked down. So in reality, I don't think that it's a major health thing as much as it is an inconvenience for players is rest. Yeah, I think the uh, big thing here, the big story uh, that players should take into account in terms of pleading the case for the All-Star game happening is the MBPA led by Chris Paul, who is one of the most thoughtful players in the league. Um, they wanted to make sure that this All-Star game is an all for naught. Uh, they're having it in Atlanta because of the civil rights movement uh, and, and some of the historical context that has come out of Atlanta. So with their movement for um, like all the social justice issues that all of the players are clamoring for and wanting the league to show a, a care for, um, they agreed on a place with a lot of historical context and that can um, help bring to light those issues in the right setting. So I think in terms of pleading a case for the players, this is why I see uh, both sides coming to an agreement is for what you were talking about of showcasing the league's talent and having this be the spectacle that it is, but also from the social aspect of it, uh, players definitely wanted this and the league is conforming to what the players wanted in this regard. Yeah, and also one thing slightly unrelated to the actual question, but something that I, I feel like I just have to say, if you're a Milwaukee fan, I would be pissed to hear this, but um, a lot of players, as you mentioned, came out and supported um, LeBron when LeBron came out and said that this was a slap in the face of the players, that um, they're not taking the players health into account by having this event, et cetera. Obviously a lot of players came out and then supported him, but Giannis Antetokounmpo came out and supported him in such a beta way, he came out and said, we all have to support and follow the big dog. Dude, you're calling LeBron the big dog? What do you mean? Like, you're supposed to be the big dog. Like, you're the MVP of your team. Aren't you the one who's supposed to be saying that you're the best player? You can support LeBron's position without also pandering to him and, and like belittling yourself next to him. The big dog? Come on. Like, I don't care who you are in the NBA. If you're the star player for my team, even if I know that LeBron is better than you in my heart, I want you saying that you're better than LeBron because if not, how do I believe that you're going to beat this guy in the finals if you already are saying that he's got an edge on you? Come on. Yeah, Steph Curry, Joel Embiid, Jimmy Butler, all these guys would not be saying that. And Giannis has come a far way from saying he wouldn't even train with LeBron or any other star in the offseason because – 
he just doesn't want to train with people not on the team to now, to your point, pandering and uh, allowing LeBron to supplant him even in his own speeches. Anyways, moving on. The Jazz still own the best record in the NBA, despite virtually no one picking them to win it all this year. Shout out to Charles Barkley. Plead their case for why they have a legitimate chance. Honestly, the Utah Jazz are pretty much the exact same team that they were last year. They've really benefited from continuity and really lucky health uh, situations so far this season. I think that the Jazz have probably had the most luck with keeping all of their team together and not having any of their key pieces miss extended time, which is kind of ironic given that this was the first team to uh, make the headlines for COVID with Rudy Gobert and his whole touching the microphone spiel. But um, honestly, if you're looking at this team, you have to give them their credit. As an offensive spark, Donovan Mitchell is only averaging 23.5 points per game right now, which is kind of surprising. You'd expect it to be higher. But the thing is, he elevates his game whenever he has to. He's really been great in the clutch. And it seems that they've really been playing for one another. Although Donovan Mitchell is the best offensive player, they seem to really get everyone involved. So you don't really have an ability to just bog down Donovan Mitchell and say that if you shut him down, you're going to beat them because... They've won plenty of games where Donovan Mitchell has not really had a great offensive game and still pulled out the win because they have good team basketball. Their offensive concepts maximize the most of the role players they have. And defensively, they're one of the best defensive teams in the entire NBA. If you're looking at advanced statistics, their point differential is also the second best in the entire NBA. So I think that that speaks to not only winning games, but winning them convincingly which is to show that it's not by any means like a fluke, like these guys are just getting by. These guys are convincingly winning their games and have top 10 or top five offense and defense. So if you're a Jazz fan, you've got to be optimistic that this season will be the season they can get over the hump. Last year, they were only one game away from going to the Western Conference Finals. They ended up losing to the Nuggets. And honestly, they, they were pretty close to, to beating them. They had a three game or a, that three games won already. They only needed one more win to get into that next round. So it's not like if you're the Utah Jazz, you're far away mentally from where you need to be. You know that last year you were extremely close to getting there. So I think that given the improvement that Donovan Mitchell has had as an individual player and given the continuity and the improved chemistry that their team is having, also, Jordan Clarkson off the bench for them has been great um, and underrated, to be honest with you. I think that the Jazz have, at the very least, the firepower to contend with anyone. So you have to you have to mention them whenever you talk about contenders. They have the firepower to contend with anyone, but they remind me of the Hawks team with Horford, Teague, Korver, uh, Millsap, and all these guys that ended up being the number one seed in the East and then having early exits by LeBron over and over again. I think they're going to be a great team to watch throughout the year. I think they may end up with being the number one seed, but if you have the Mavericks or the Warriors in there as eighth seed, two teams also with pretty high expectations, they very well could knock them out. The West overall consistently year over year is going to have pretty good teams there. The Phoenix Suns, if they're in the eighth spot with Devin Booker having an off start to the year, Chris Paul seemingly not aging, and DeAndre Ayton taking a step forward this year. 
can knock them out. So I think the Jazz are great. I think Quinn Snyder is an amazing coach. I think that they have a great ownership uh, set up now with the leader of Qualtrics. However, I think that they're going to still be destined for either a first or second round exit this year. Um, but we'll see. Yeah, I had to plead their case. If I'm being completely honest with you, I don't see them winning at all either. But um, who knows, man, if the Jazz, they really are only one piece away. If they were to add something meaningful at the trade deadline, maybe someone gets bought out. They add them on a veteran's men. Um, perhaps they're able to convince one of these teams like the Pistons to let go of a major asset for not that much. It's happened before. It's not impossible that the Jazz can add a piece to get to legitimate championship contender status because I think that's what they really are, one piece away. But as of right now, at, they at least have the firepower to make it interesting with anyone. Yeah, I agree. Moving on, Bradley Beal, otherwise known as Sad Brad, has scored at least 25 Sad points Brad. in all <laughs> has scored at least 25 points in all but one game this season, despite his team's abysmal record and the impact it has on MVP voting. Plead Sad Brad's case for why he should still be considered a top MVP candidate. Yeah, honestly, um, what he's doing this season is reminiscent of something that Michael Jordan did, except that Michael Jordan was winning games. But um, basically, if you look at Bradley Beal's numbers, he really is heads and shoulders above everyone else except for Kevin Durant right now from a statistical output. It really is incredible what he's doing too because at the amount of points that he's producing and the level of difficulty in the shots that he's taking, you got to think about the team that he's on. This guy doesn't have anyone that's really taking attention away from him. Russell Westbrook, as good of a player as he is, doesn't really draw that many defenders unless he's attacking the rim in transition. When you're in a half-court set, people sag off a of Russ and basically will rather double-team Beal every time and give Russell the open jumper rather than have Beal take a contested shot. It seems like Bradley Beal, night in and night out, has to take the hardest shots, and he's still sinking 50% of those, including almost 40% from three. So at the, he's basically everything for his team. I don't know what the Wizards would be without Bradley Beal. I don't know if the Wizards would win a single game without Bradley Beal. So I know that um, it's very important to always factor in, is your team winning? But we have to look at context too. A lot of times the reason why winning is so important when you're looking at an MVP vote is because you don't want to have a situation where you're voting for a guy like Kevin Love, for example, when he was with the Timberwolves and putting up elite numbers, who is basically just putting up empty stats that don't contribute to winning. There's a lot of players who will put up empty stats, but don't really have a winning impact on the game. And I think that's why we look at win-loss so much. But that's not really the case with Bradley Beal if you're watching him play. He has his team in there. Like, he consistently has his team close to winning because of the amazing performances that he puts up. He clearly has a great impact on the game with a positive plus-minus, but it's just that he's got no help surrounding him. So you can't say that it's that he's putting up empty stats. I think that just based on his efficiency and statistical dominance and the lack of help that he has, you have to give this guy at least the second best odds of winning the MVP behind Kevin Durant. So, um, I mean, right now he's proving to be a top five player this season. I'm not going to go ahead and give him top five player in the NBA, but he, at this point, it's hard to say that he's not a top five player in the NBA this year.
And for me, I think that the MVP should be more looked at as an individual award rather than what your team is doing anyway. So I'm going to go ahead and give it to Beal. Well, I think Beal is maybe in the top five. I still give Jokic over KD in terms of MVP, and we'll see if KD misses like five more weeks from COVID guidelines that kind of don't make sense. Um, but it is unfortunate for Bradley Beal. I think if he ends up going to a new team and is smiling, the company that should reach out to him for a sponsorship is glad because they'll be saying, Brad, don't be sad, get glad. And it'll show the transition of being on the Wizards over to whatever team he goes to. So I think that that is a amazing marketing point. Bradley Beal's representatives, when you guys move him, hit me up. I have some great ideas for sad Brad getting glad. But with that, that is the end of the show. We're going to subpoena one crazy Phillies fan, see if they come on the show as a witness next show. But with that, I'm Eric Gonzalez. And I'm Mike Stern. Court is adjourned.